who had come to believe in him. If you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But they answered, we are the descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. So how can you say we will become free? You see, they answered Jesus in the same way we might. I mean, we're Americans, right? We live in the land of the free. We sing songs about it. We get together and have parties and fireworks, all to celebrate our nation's freedom. But Jesus was speaking of a different kind of freedom, a freedom that can only be found in him. He answered them, this is the truth. Everyone who chooses a life of sin isn't free. They are a slave to sin. A slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son or a daughter, they belong forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Somebody just told me down there that in my red shirt I look like a red coat. I am a full-fledged American citizen, all right? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we, we British, usually on July 4th, we hide away because your accent gets you into a lot of trouble over July 4th, you know what I mean? But, uh, but this morning I am thrilled. Uh, that you are here at Riverside. And, and just before I get into the word, um, I, I want this morning to honor and recognize every veteran that is in the room and also any first responders that are in the room today. And um, when I told you the story about um, Charlotte passing in such a dramatic way last night and, and Keelan uh, I, I got to the hospital, and by the time I got to the hospital, the place was filled with Riverside people that were there to support Keelan and, and his family. And for me, they were first responders uh, and represented us uh, in a family that were in dire need. And so if you're a veteran here today, if you are a first responder and that you are a part of anything of the military or um, the emergency services, and if you were a first responder that turned up at the hospital last night with us, uh, I want you all to stand right now so this church can honor you and the wonderful work you've done and are doing in serving this country. Come on, lift it up. You may take your seats. If you join us for the first time today, and I've already met some people who are, and uh, you've made my day in being here, uh, I, I just thank you for coming. And you've come in a moment when we're in the um, last two weeks of a two-part series that we're doing uh, called Directions, the inside scoop of your, on your Christian life. And um, in a few weeks, we'll be starting uh, part two, which is the inside scoop on your future life, and we'll talk about heaven. Um, but um, this morning, we're in the fourth week of this series that looks at what the Christian life is all about, and maybe brings out some things that maybe have not been so uh, forefront in your thinking. You know... Uh, just a few um, weeks ago, I think it was just over a week ago, actually, I had a wonderful Christian man come into my office, and um, he, he told me that he, uh, I, I'd known this guy for years, and he told me that he felt that he needed to become a Christian, using the words, I feel I need to get saved over again. And I asked him why he felt that way. And he said, well, you know, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I see sin in my life. And, um, you know, when you become sensitive 
to the struggle of indwelling sin, you may become, get to a place where you, you wonder whether you're a Christian at all. That, that it is that you now are so aware of sin in your life since you've become a Christian that you wonder, well, did anything happen when I got saved? Did anything happen when I became a Christian? I, I, I remember, reminded him, I said, you know, before you came a Christian, became a Christian, you sinned as if it was going out of fashion and you never worried at all about it. But now you've become a Christian, you are aware of sin in your life. I said, it's not a sign that you need to become a Christian all over again. It's a sure sign that God is working in your life, that you're in the right place with God and you're moving on in God because now you're aware of your sin, whereas before you couldn't care less about your sin. And it's a sign that you are walking with God, that you become aware of sin that needs to be dealt with in your life. And you may be here this morning and you may be a Christian and you've thought, well, if I belong to Christ, surely I shouldn't be struggling with sin in this way. I should have less sin in my life. And I should have left all that behind me now. If you're here this morning and you're worried about the struggles you have with thoughts and desires that seem to rise within you, then what we're going to be learning today is going to help you in your Christian life. I want you to know that I felt led of God to do this series and to zero in on Christians and to make them aware of what their Christian life is all about and also what their future life is about in order that they will fall in love with Jesus like never before and in order that they will begin to talk to others who do not Jesus, know Jesus like never before, that they will see their mission field outside there in the world and will go to tell people about Jesus because now they understand more about their Christian life. You see, the experience of battling with sin is not a sign of failure. It's the normal experience of an authentic Christian life. The new life does not mean the battle has ended. The new life means the battle has started. That it is that now you are in the fight. And the battle against sin is an evidence that you are a Christian. If you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't be worried about your sin. But now you are a Christian, you are concerned about sin. Not a dead fish that's just floating down the river. You're alive. And you have this new life in you. And now you are battling against the current of sin and the culture in which we live. That is adamant that they want to see less of God and more of sin. You are now in the battle against sin and the culture in which we live. And so here's our kickoff verse today. It's found in the New Testament book of Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 5. And it says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The writer of this book, the book of Colossians, is the Apostle Paul. And as you read this chapter, he goes on to list some sins that Christians may be tempted by. He starts with sexual sin. And he talks about sexual immorality and impurity and lust in verse 5 of this chapter. He goes on to talk about financial sin, greed, which he says is idolatry. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that before, that it is that greed is idolatry. Idolatry means having other gods in your life. And so Paul is saying, if it is that you're gripped by greed, you are in an idolatry place, you are making money your God. And you are worshiping money more than God. You are putting your confidence in money and your future in money more than you are God. And then he talks about relational sins. 
He talks about anger, rage, and malice. Now, the word malice is the word that means wishing harm on another person. And, and, and it's a sad place to get to, where it is that you're wishing harm on someone. Uh, it, it, it's a sad place. And then Paul goes on and he talks about sins of the tongue. He talks about slander and filthy language. And he says, do not lie in verses 8 and 9. Slander, friends, is speaking in a way that will make others think bad of someone else. So you're talking to someone about someone else and you're talking in such a way that they will think bad of the person that you're talking about. It's slander, says Paul, and it is sin. And these are just a few examples of what Paul brings out here. Uh, the um, point in his whole writing is this, that the impulse to sin will keep rising up from your flesh in some way, shape, or form, no matter how long you have been a Christian. Hey, listen, I came to know Jesus on August the 23rd, 1963. Uh, if you're trying to work it out, just put it into your mind, it's a long time ago. And I want to tell you this, friends, that every day since that date of August the 23rd, 1963, I have been fighting sin. Not some of the days, all of the days. Because sin will try to get a foothold in your life. When you think you've got the upper hand of one brand of sin, it will start throwing up another brand in another area of your life. The battle never ends. You might as well settle it in your mind right now. The battle against sin never ends. Paul says, put to death. And the words put to death in this scripture is translated from one word in the original language, and it's the word mortification. It's the same word that we get our word mortal from, which means subject to death. And it's also the word that we get our word mortuary from, which is a place where the dead are taken. The word mortify means to put to death. Now, there are two scriptures where this word is used in the New Testament and it gives an insight uh, to the heart of Paul with regard to the conflict that we're in against sin. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, Paul says, If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death, mortify the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And then he, he says also in Colossians uh, chapter 3 and verse 5, put to death, mortify, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The impulse to sin keeps landing in new ways in our lives, and it has to be dealt with. We have to mortify or put to death sin every day. Because something will happen every day that will provoke maybe pride in you or envy in you or self-pity in you. And, and, and I guarantee that there are some in here that say, yeah, that's been me this week. So if you're honest, if you're honest and you don't tell lies in church anyway, if you're honest, you say, yeah, I've battled sin this week. Who's honest and say, yeah, I've battled sin this week. Every day another situation is going to arise that might lead you to impatience or ingratitude or a sins of the tongue. You have to put it to death as it comes up. Putting sin to death is not a one-time deal. It's not something that happens and then you don't have to bother about it. Putting sin to death is not a one-time deal. We're always in the business of mortifying the flesh, putting to death the flesh. Remember what we said last week? We said last week that we are to be always killing sin or sin will be killing us. It's like a battlefield. The enemy is always coming against us. 
And today I want to speak as plainly and practically as I possibly can about our fight in this battle. And um, anyone who has been a Christian for any time knows that the battle is real. But knowing the battle is real, but then how to engage in the battle is another thing. So I want to give you five strategies, right, for killing sin in our lives. Now, don't worry, they're not all long, so I'm not going to keep you here past midnight at least. So strategy number one for fighting sin in our lives is this. Number one, make sure you're a Christ follower. Make sure that you're a Christian. That is the first and most important strategy for fighting sin. You need to make sure that you're a Christian. If you notice in verse 5 of Colossians 3, Paul says, put to death, therefore. Now, my dad, when I was growing up, he taught me that when I read the Bible, wherever I see the word therefore, I have to ask the question, what's it there for? All right. So whenever I see therefore in the Bible, I have to say, why is that therefore, therefore? Are you confused now? Now, wherever you see the word therefore, it's always pointing back to what's been said before. You have to go back to see what was written before the therefore. And what we have written in the first four verses here shows exactly who Paul was talking to when he was telling them to fight sin. And he wanted them to have no doubt whatsoever that they were Christians, that they were Christ followers. So in verse 1 to 4, he tells those people there, he says, he says, you're the ones who have been raised with Christ in verse 1. And, and then he says that you have died and your lives are now hidden with Christ in God. I call that the double wrap principle, that we are now in Christ in God. We're double wrapped. How many know you're safe when you're double wrapped by Christ and God? And then, then also, they know uh, when Christ, who is their life, appears, they will also appear with him in glory. In other words, Christians know that they're going to heaven one day. Oh, you know, I sat with one family this week, with a good old family, actually, as their loved one had just passed away. She's lying there, and they gathered around, and one of the family said, well, I hope she's gone to heaven. Well, I knew Nancy Goodall. I've known her for years and years and years. And I said, you hope? I said, I want you to know that I know she's gone to heaven. I said, I've got no doubt about it. The Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. She is with Jesus. I remember the day she got saved. I remember the day she surrendered her life to Jesus. I remember her as she walked with God over many years of me knowing her. I didn't shout. I didn't get this excited. But I said, listen, I want you all to know this lovely lady may not be in this body right now, but she is definitely with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. She is safe with Jesus. So Paul says, you've been raised with Christ. You've died and your lives are now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. You are absolutely certain about heaven. So here's my question. Is that true about you? As you sit in the dark there under the balcony, if you sit down here, you may be near the front. As you're up in the, in the balcony, I'm asking you, is it true about you? Because this is the description of a real Christian. You see, there is no use trying to put to death sin if you're not a Christian believer. It, it, there's no, no use you doing that. A Christian is a person who has found new life in Jesus Christ. Before, you were sin's prisoner, but now you've been set free, and you are in a position to fight sin. The only reason that we get engaged in the battle, in the fight, 
is that we have new life in Christ. Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And putting sin to death is only possible if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.13, By the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body. It is only possible when the Spirit of Christ lives in you. Now hear me right this morning. Because anyone who is not a Christian... A person who is not following Jesus Christ can change or modify their behavior. People who are not Christians can stop drinking, for instance. People who are not Christians can stop swearing. People who are not Christians, they are people who can get control of their temper. You do this with willpower. I've never met him, but they say you can do it with him. Will power. <laughs> I had more laughs in the first service for that. But listen, somebody was leaving from church this morning, came up to me and said, Will power is a professional car driver in Australia. So now you know who Will power is. Give him a call if you want some help. But people who are not Christians can, with willpower and some accountability, overcome some of the things that I've mentioned. They can stop drinking, calm their temper, etc., etc. But I want to tell you this, friends, that only a Christian can put sin to death, and there's a difference. You see, when you're a true Christ follower, you confront sin in the knowledge of a loving Father God and a big brother who fights for you whose name is Jesus and the power that is given to you by Holy Spirit. You now fight not on your own. You fight by the fact that you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working in you. Putting sin to death. Putting sin to death leads to the growing of faith and hope and love in your life. It leads to prayer and worship and godliness. Godliness means putting God first. None of these things come out of self-help programs, friends. All of them come from putting sin to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not relying on ourselves. We're relying on God. We're in the battle, we're in the fight, but we're drawing on the power of God. For instance, uh, consider with me a person who struggles with a compulsive and addiction. Maybe it's gambling or pornography, or maybe it's alcohol, or maybe drugs. This person knows that he or she needs help, and they come to church. You may be here this morning, you say, and I am that person. I am struggling with gambling, I'm struggling with drugs, I'm struggling with uh, drink, I'm struggling with some uh, addiction that grips itself to my life. Well, listen to me carefully. The greatest need in your life right now is not to stop gambling, it's not to stop drinking, it's not stopping watching pornography, it's not stopping taking drugs. The greatest need in your life right now is for you to come to faith and repentance and present your life to Jesus Christ and put your whole life into his hands. That's what needs to happen. You need to come to Jesus. Oh yeah, don't, don't, don't come. Don't come just saying, I want rid of this and I want rid of that. No, come saying, I need you, Jesus. I need you in every area of my life. Not only in the area that I'm battling, I need you in every area of my life. Not only, friends, not only will you change your compulsive behavior when you come to Christ, but when you come to Him, you will receive new life. You will be a brand new person. The Bible calls it being born again. It means that you walk out of this place different than when you came in, that you have found Jesus as your Savior, and you're walking out with Jesus who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you in the battle. You're not on your own. I'm going with you into the world. He is a wonderful Savior. 
Let me tell you who Riverside people are. We are people who are all compulsive sinners. We are people who had no hope of being accepted by God. But then Jesus came. We are people just like you who needed Jesus on the inside of our lives. And I, and I beg you that you will trust him this morning, that you will come to him and believe in him. He died on the cross to forgive your sin. He died on the cross to bring you back to God. And as you ask him into your life, he will come into your life. He lives so that now you who have come to him may no longer live to yourself, but live for the glory of God. He is the one that you ask and he will give you his spirit so that you can live for his glory and be a mighty warrior against sin. You confess your sin to Christ. The Bible says he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. He will give you new life. And then you're in a new position to be able to fight back at sin and to put sin to death. So number one, make sure you're a Christ follower. Here's number two, the strategy number two in killing sin. Take responsibility for the task to which God has called you to. Put sin to death. Every Christian is called to put sin to death. God gives us his Holy Spirit to help us, but it's our work with God. It is our work that God has called us to, to put sin to death. Uh, now, I, I want you to help me in, in this moment. I'm going to go through some scriptures, and uh, I'm going to ask a question. At the end of each scripture, I, I will say, who is to do this? And your answer is, we are. All right? So, let's practice. All right? Without the scriptures being put up in a minute, I, I'm going to end the scripture with, who is to do this? And you are to say, Did anyone say anything? I didn't hear anything. That's not how we're going to win the battle, friends. All right, we're going to win it by saying, we are. Amen. Come on. Who's to put sin to death? We are. All right. So listen to these scriptures. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Put to death. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Who's to do this? We are. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. We must rid ourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander. Who is to do this? We are. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Who is to do this? Yeah. Now, you got a little bit quieter there. I think we must have touched on somebody's sin. All right, so that you whispered it instead of shouting it, you know, because that's what you're battling. No, no, shout it out, all right? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Who is to do this? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Who is to do this? Yeah. Final verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. I think I missed one. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Is that the one? Good. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Who is to do this? We are. Now the final one. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Who is to do this? You see, the language of the New Testament, friends, always calls for us to be active when it comes to our warfare against sin. God has given us power. Christ's Spirit lives within us. 
God has put us in the position where we can fight against sin. And this is what we must do. The whole point of putting sin to death is that the Holy Spirit works within us. And, uh, and the fact is this, he works within us, but he can never do it without us. I want you to get that. He has put you in a position where you can fight. Put in sin to death, Holy Spirit works within us, but never without us. We have to be active in the battle. Strategy number three in our war against sin. Here it is. Win some battles in your war against the flesh. And the key words there are some battles. Notice I didn't say win the battle. This battle that we're in, this fight that we're in, uh, the fact is this, that it isn't a one-off thing and then it's over. The battle against sin is always with us. It's a long warfare. Every time, every time you say yes to a sin, you increase its power in your life. Every time you say yes to a sin, you make the next temptation harder to say no to. Every time you say yes to sin, you increase its influence over us. Every time we give way to it, every time we cherish it, every time we say no to sin, we weaken its power in our lives. So we have to win some battles in our war against the flesh. Now, I know it's Independence Weekend, but I never ever thought that I'd use an illustration talking about American football. But I want you to think about American football right now. As far as I can make out, in this game that you called, uh, that you look for world champions, and, and yet you never play another country in the world at the game, but the thing is, you call them world champions. Um, as far as I can tell, the game hinges on field position. It's all about moving the ball forward. In any game, there will be times when you're on the fence and you're moving the ball forward, and then there are also times where you're in defense and you're trying to keep the other team from moving the ball forward. And in that way, the, the game can be won or lost at either end of the field. Listen, friends, every time that you say no to sin, you move the ball forward. Every time you say yes to sin, sin and demonic powers, the opposing forces against us, they move the ball forward against us. So here are things that I've learned about sin as I've studied the NFL. <laughs> Even when you're gaining yards in a drive, you can never rest. When you think you're really, really doing well against sin, I want to tell you that sin can snatch the ball and be down your end zone before you ever realize it. You can never rest. Even when you're gaining yards, you can never rest. You've always got to be ready for a counterattack that will come. Here's the second thing I've learned from studying the NFL when I, with regard to sin. The time when you have put points on the board is the time when you most need your best defense. So now, when you've been exerting yourself in serving God when you've been giving yourself and giving yourself away to others, when it has been that you have led someone to Jesus Christ, when it has been that your ministry is moving forward, know this, that sin will come back viciously against you. That it will be that, that when you have won your most incredible moment, it will be that sin will come and strike and fight back against you. And even when you have points on the board, you need your best defense. Here's number three that I've learned about the NFL, from the NFL about sin. When sin has broken through your defense and scored a touchdown, you don't leave the field. When you may have fallen to that temptation, 
Some sin has had the upper hand over you. That's the very time you get back up and you begin a new drive against sin. You don't leave the field. You don't quit. I had someone Facebook me this week and I put something about this message on Facebook and they said, I was talking about saying no to sin. And he says, what if it is that I keep saying yes? I keep saying yes. And I said, every time you say yes and you fall to temptation and sin, you get back up. And if you fall again, you get back up. And if you fall again, you get back up. You never quit. You look sin in the face and say you may have won there, but you're not going to win in the future. And you fight back against sin. You never leave the field. Move the ball forward. Look sin in the face. And take it on. I've been reading some old sayings of a great theologian of the past, John Owen. And this is what he said with regard to this. He said, sin will not die except by being gradually and constantly weakened. Spare it and it heals its wounds and recovers its strength and strikes back at you. You cannot rest You don't leave the field. You don't back down. You don't go into assault. You get back up and you say, you may have won there, but you're not going to win now. I'm fighting back against you. All right, strategy number four for putting sin to death in your life. Grow the fruits that fight off sin. You know, unlike behavior modification in the world, progress in the Christian life is not just about sinning less. It's about growing the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Now, I'm going to read you a long scripture, but we're in church, and it's all right to read scripture in church, isn't it? Galatians chapter 5, listen to this, 16 to 25. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. If you want to know what lewdness means, it means crude and offensive sexual talk or behavior. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious uh, tensions, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, uh, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The more we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, the less you will be hampered by the works of the flesh. So identify and vigorously pursue the qualities that are most contrary to the sin that you're fighting. For instance, if you think of adultery, what fruit of the Spirit is contrary to adultery? And and I would say it's faithfulness. That when I'm tempted to commit adultery, I now say, no, but your word says that I am to be faithful to my spouse. And I'm going to be more faithful than I've ever been before. And so I call on the power of God to be faithful, a faithful man or a faithful woman in the marriage. And I fight off the thoughts of adultery. It's gone quiet. What about greed? The best way to launch an assault on greed is that when the things of this world become too important to you, you cultivate the grace of giving. 
you break the power of money in your life by giving to God. Because when you do that and keep doing it, you demonstrate that God is number one in your life and he's more important to you than money and you are growing the grace of giving rather than being now controlled by greed. Jesus saw this and he said this, you cannot serve both God and money. Give to God. You're his servant and that means that now you use your money for him. Another example would be pride. How do we overcome pride? We overcome pride by humility. As you target the sin you're going to put to death, you also target growing the fruit in your life that is now going to counter that sin in your life. So now it is that we strategize that we're not only going to put sin to death, we're going to grow the fruits of the Spirit. Here's number five, strategy number five for putting sin to death. Pursue obedience to Christ in all the areas of your life. Hey, listen, listen. I want you to get that. In all the areas of your life. You know, a few years ago, I went through a difficult time when I had a perforated disc in my back. The pain was terrible. Uh, And at one point, I was going to the chiropractor and... um, And he said, I I think you need to get some exercise. And so I'm going to send you down to the gym. I'm going to send you down to Carl. Now, Carl was one huge guy. I mean, he was a big guy. Hey, I'm small. He was Goliath. (laughs) And, um, And I want to tell you that Carl put me through absolute agony. I mean, I had a problem with my back, but he started manipulating my feet and stretching my toes apart. And here's the thing that made it worse. Carl was into, uh, uh, you know, amateur operatics, and, and as he was stretching my toes apart, he was singing, the hills are alive with the sound of music. I asked him if he was brought up in a concentration camp. (laughs) He had me doing all kinds of exercises. And when I completed, he said, now, John, if you're going to beat this, you have to keep doing the exercises. So I said to him, Carl, listen, what is the exercise that I particularly need just for my back? And he rolled his eyes and, and he says, your whole body is connected. You cannot help your back in isolation to the rest of your body. Now we, we do, friends, have to target particular sins that are getting a hold on our lives. The, scene, the sins that seem to be the most uh, epidemic in our lives, if I can use that word. If you don't do that, if you don't target it, you're unlikely to make progress in beating sin. But you will only succeed, we will only succeed as we also pursue every sin in our lives and a full devotion to Jesus Christ is the answer to beating every sin in our lives. Hey, listen. You can't put one sin to death in isolation to others. You can't overcome lust while you're still indulge in laziness. And you can't overcome greed while you're still indulge in pride. And listen to this. Half-hearted Christians, listen, half-hearted Christians will never be successful in putting sin to death. Only those that are totally devoted to Jesus Christ. Only that who are sin, only a total devotion to Christ and the power of Holy Spirit is going to enable me to put sin to death. If you're half-hearted, you may as well forget it. You're going to lose, friends. It is a total commitment to Christ that enables us to put sin to death. Place your life into the hands of Jesus Christ with all your struggles and with all your pain. Offer him everything that you are. 
Use the opportunity of fellowship and the word and worship to take you through. Paul said in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since we are members of one body, we are called to peace. You are called to peace. The body of Christ is the church, friends. The church is God's gift to you whether you like it or not. And the fact is that we are called to be a part of a body, a part of a church. Uh, you know, I have people that come up to me sometimes on the door. I had one couple that came up not so long ago, and they said, uh, we are, we're here, this is our first time here. I said, good, I hope you come again. And they said, well, we don't know whether we will. I said, oh, how come? They said, we are floaters. I said, what do you mean, you're floaters? They said, well, we float wherever the Spirit leads us. We go to this church and that church and that church. And I said, do me a favor, float right past this church. Don't come in again. I don't need floaters. I need fully devoted followers of Jesus who feel called to this church and to be a part of this body. Cherish the gift of the church, friends. Guard and protect it. Stay close to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do everything in your power to be at peace with them so that you can minister to them and that they can minister to you. You know, when you drift away from active fellowship in God's people, God's church, you will do, lose your desire and commitment to put sin to death. When you drift away from the church, you will give in more easily to sin. You hate me saying this, but I'm telling you the absolute truth. And you will soon become passive to sin, and you will carry on sinning, and it won't worry you again like it did before you were saved. Here's another vital thing with regards to your walking with God. Choose your friends carefully. If you have friends that downplay sin, then you need to consider your friendship with them. If you have friends who say it's okay to have casual sex or sex outside of marriage, drop them fast. They're not good to you. If you have friends that downplay the use of alcohol and the use of drugs, pray for them, but don't listen to them. If you have friends who downplay church attendance and say it's okay to go now and again, well, let me tell you, they are absolutely wrong and don't know God's word. And they're not good friends to have. Hey, friends, listen. We're in a war here. We don't need half-hearted soldiers on our right hand and on our left. We need people who are committed to Jesus Christ and who are going to be with us that have got our backs when we're up against sin and are going to fight the battle with us. The battle is for the soul and the spirit of this nation and the battle is for the soul and spirit of your life. That it is the devil is active and he's out to destroy your faith and to take you away from God if it was possible. We're in a battle together and we need each other. We also need the word of God, the Bible. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. Be in the word of God. If you don't know where to read in the Word of God that will help you, you ask us. We'll tell you where to read. If you don't know where to go, I always say the first place that I would lead someone to read the Word of God, start in the Psalms and read how the psalmist fought against sin. But we can help you with that. Open your life to the Word of God every day. Don't go a day without reading the Word of God, whether it's at home or at work uh, and, and make sure you, you get where the Word of God is explained and preached so that you're built up in the Word of God and you're standing on the Word of God. That, that it is that this is the Word of Christ to you. That it is He's speaking to you through His Word. And then finally, worship. Colossians 3.16. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, friends, when temptation is attacking me the most, what I do is this. I fill our house with worship music. Oh, I turn on WCIC, uh, or, or I, I choose out my best songs that really lift my spirit. 
and cause me to be lifted up and feel drawn near to God and I fill the house with worship. Because I want to tell you, worship is with what brings us to God. I heard this story about a wise, wise man who counseled a colleague who was caught in the addiction of gambling. Greed had got to him, and as we read, greed is idolatry. So now he was worshiping money more than he was God, and he wanted more and more money, and so he was into gambling. This godly man came to him and said, you worshiped your way into this, and you'll worship your way out of it. In other words, you fell in love with money and you worship money. The way out of it is that you now begin to worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you'll worship your way out of it. So we're going to worship our way out of here this morning. And um, if you need to come and spend time at this altar, I want you to. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, you need to become a Christian. I'm going to stand down the front here, and if you're not a Christian, I want you to come up to me right now as the song is going to be singing, uh, be sung, and people are singing. I want you to come up and say, I'm not a Christian. I want to become a Christian. Or maybe you are a Christian and you're fighting sin and you say, I need help, I I need more strength, I need someone to pray with me. I want you to come up and kneel at the altar. And and I want to tell you, someone out there who's on our prayer team, someone who is here who is a small group leader, a pastor or an elder will come and pray with you. Someone will pray with you. But I want you to come. I want you to know that this altar is a place of strength. This altar is a place where you can get built up. This altar is a place where God can speak to you. This morning, I want you to leave this place saying, I'm determined by the grace of God, by the help of my big brother Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am going to put sin to death. I'm going to keep moving the ball forward. I I may have been pressed back, but I'm coming up again, and I'm going to move the ball forward. If that's you, come to the altar as we sing. We'll be out of here within five minutes, friends. Don't leave yet. And, uh, and, and allow the Holy Spirit now to put that word deep into your heart. If you need to just come and kneel at the altar, come and do that. But right now, the Lord is here and he wants to meet with you. So let's sing this song. Let's stand together. And if you need to come to the altar, please come.